Welcome to the SF Squeecast, in which a group of science fiction and fantasy professionals squee about things SF-nal in a never-ending panel discussion of vague positivity. I'm your moderator, Lynn Thomas, back for the night. I'm joined today by Squeecast regulars Elizabeth Baer. Hello. Paul Cornell. Good evening. And our special guest, Nebula Award-winning writer Aliette de Baudard. Hello. You may know Aliette best for her Hugo-nominated story On a Red Station, Drifting. Uh, today we have a group of really wonderful works to uh, squee on about. Uh, we are going to be talking uh, about one book, uh, a, a television show, a piece of anime, and uh, a comic book. So that's pretty awesome. It's a nice wide range. Um, I'm going to start uh, because I drew the long straw, totally. Um, the book that I want to squee about is one that I finished a couple of months ago. And it is called Delia Shadow by Jamie Lee Moyer. This is Jamie's first book. And uh, in the uh, interest of um, full disclosure, Jamie is a friend and she is one of my authors, i.e. I am the archivist responsible for her stuff. Um, But this is a book that uh, was going to be in my wheelhouse as a reader, even if I didn't know Jamie from a hole in the ground. Um, Delia Shadow is Downton Abbey in San Francisco with ghosts and a serial killer. That's really the best elevator pitch I can give you. Um, This debut novel starts in post-Great Earthquake San Francisco. Uh, Our main character, Delia, is returning there after being away for quite some time uh, for work. She's returning home to not only be with her surrogate family that raised her after her parents were lost in the earthquake, um, but also because the ghost that talks to her won't let her not go back. Delia can see ghosts. This is part of her thing. Um, And... There is, at the same time in San Francisco, the Pan Pacific Exhibition, uh, which is having a problem with a serial killer. And uh, the thread of the serial killer and Gabe, who is the cop that is charged with investigating the case of the serial killer, and Delia's ability to see ghosts, dovetail nicely into a really wonderful piece of suspense uh, with a romance on the side. Um, I wasn't sure how the the serial killer stuff and the ghost story was going to work with a ongoing attempt at a romantic relationship plot-wise. Those are things that I occasionally find to be uh, less than um, cogent when you put them together. And yet, uh, Jamie does a really fantastic job of maintaining simultaneously the tension of a detective trying desperately to protect uh, his friends, his partner, his family, and the people he loves, at at the same time that um, he's trying to solve this case while trying to figure out this relationship with Delia, who becomes a witness and um, a helpmeet because of her ability to see ghosts in the solving of the case. Uh, There are secondary characters who are Delia's best friend and Gabe's partner, Jack and Sadie, um, and they are are sort of relative plot ingenues, but they are not handled in an insipid manner at all. They are really, really well fleshed out. The entire cast is well fleshed out. Um, From a historical novel perspective, I think Jamie does a really great job of designing and showing us San Francisco post-earthquake with the big Pan Pacific exhibition and, and describing what that feels like and the crowds and the exhibits themselves, I think it's a really enjoyable book. Um, it's, it's quite well written. Uh, the prose does, works really well with the style of book that she's writing. It doesn't get in the way of it and it doesn't undermine it. It's really spot on. Um, and I love these characters to bits. One of the things I really love about this novel is that while Gabe is frantically trying to solve this case, um, Delia and Gabe. Uh, Gabe is a widower and Delia is 
a little bit older. She's not uh, a young lady anymore. Um, she would be considered, you know, more or less on the shelf um, by the standards of the time. They are both adults coming at this relationship cautiously as adults. They are also both relatively introverted. So it's really, it was really interesting for me to watch two adults who don't spend all of their time and energy expressing every single thing that they think or feel attempt to navigate a relationship where they actually do think and feel a lot about each other and are trying to figure out how to express that in a way that is going to not be terrifying for either of them. Um, I think the, the entire novel was handled really well and I'm very much looking forward to the next volume of it. So Delia Shadow, uh, Jamie Lee Moyer, absolutely lovely book. Um, if you are a fan of Downton Abbey and serial killers and ghosts, this is the book for you. Has anyone else had a chance to read this? I, I have. I actually got to read it before it came out because, full disclosure, Jamie is a very good friend of mine and, and has been since about uh, 2001. Um, and uh, I – one of the things that uh, – um, I'm, I'm desperately allergic to romance plots, which is one way that this book didn't quite push my buttons. However, um, I think – one thing she does a, a really wonderful job with, uh, as you pointed out, is the, the relationships between people and the way they interact. And the, um, as you said, the fact that, that these are grown-up people having a grown-up relationship and there's not a lot of mooning and swooning and, and uh, um, fluttering and being generally irritating and teenager-like, which I have absolutely no patience for in fiction <laughs> because I'm a mean cynical old lady with no romance in my soul <laughs> um, you don't all have to agree we know you, you have you, romance you, in your soul <laughs> you totally are romantic there you were waiting for a laugh that did not come it was very I, was, <laughs> I know god that just oh I just flew that into the mountainside there was no humor I, there I tell you what, um, when I do my bit, I will do something similar. I will come to a stop and wait, and you guys can absolutely just like... <laughs> <laughs> Just leave me hanging like the true friends you are. Um, but yeah, very much that, that sense of, of grown-up people navigating a grown-up situation and trying to be fair to each other, which was such an incredible relief to me as a reader. Um, and uh, it, uh, it seems... Uh, very relevant to me right now, especially because I've, I've just been reading a different book by a different author about two ostentatiously grown-up people in a long-running will-they-won't-they situation who are behaving in absolutely abominable fashion toward each other because they can't be grown-ups. And, and Jamie doesn't do that. No, no, she doesn't. Thank goodness. She doesn't. They, they, these are people. They're having life crises. They're trying to deal with hauntings and murdered people and stopping a serial killer and they still take the time to be decent to each other rather than having pointless misunderstandings yeah nobody it's, holds a stupid ball in this book it's really it's really refreshing yes nobody holds a stupid ball uh nobody willfully clings to a miscommunication as an excuse to be irritated with somebody else mm -hmm. um it it just takes all of the the standard romantic tropes and and people behave well. <laughs> well to, to be fair, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a bone with you, Bear, because I read a fair amount of romance, and the, not all of those tropes appear. In, okay, 
Sturgeon's Law, 95%. I didn't say romance tropes. I said romantic tropes. Okay. Or if I said romance. But the, the, the standard trope is, and I'm most, even in science fiction and fantasy, if there's a romance plot, there's got to be some stupid pointless that people don't have there's a problem where people don't have real problems Mm -hmm. they just have Mm -hmm. misunderstandings that are mostly um this is this is not inflicted stupidity mostly (laughs) mostly self-inflicted due to the the author is trying to write i i guess soulmates who actually have no differences and therefore, they can't have any real differences, so they have to have manufactured ones. Yeah, that, and, and that's, that annoys that's me the, too. <laughs> that's the trope I'm talking about. Okay. The, and this book I, does not do the do that thing. I, uh, I think that, I, I think what you you talk about. Sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent. Um, well, that never uh, happens. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is um, the generic bits of a genre not moving with the times because back in Jane Austen's day, um, the nature of that person doing the wooing was reasonably difficult to intuit. Um, The social structure made it very hard to ask any pertinent questions. And so you had to play a very difficult game of misunderstandings and emotional complexity like that. These days, uh, the only reason to have any of that in fiction is because you're in a genre. And so good romance novels without generic baggage, I, I would guess completely go for this really wonderful real world relationship stuff you describe um whereas bad romance novels that are immersed in the generic bits of their genre are still grabbing bits from jane austen which are social mores of previous centuries i'm off again (laughs) (laughs) yeah not even not even i'm I'm not even romance novels specifically but romantic subplots um the 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 book that i was complaining about and i'm not going to name any names because this is a squeakast was a uh uh, um, a thriller. It was a, uh, a murder mystery. And I, by the end of it, I wanted to punch the female lead in the face. You know, I was having one of those Tori Amos, I don't believe in violence, I want to kill you moments. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, so I, I, it, uh, I, my point is that Jamie's book doesn't do that. Her Her characters are solidly characterized real people who have real reasons for their actions other than I need to inject some tension into this plot. Yes. yes. And she's got a very creepy killer. Yes. The, cre- very, the killer very is creepy. super creepy. Like, <laughs> and, and it's, you know, I am not someone who does well with serial killers generally. And this was right on the edge for me. It was good suspense, but it was not gratuitously overly violent. Like I can't even handle criminal minds because i just find it too disturbing so that that gives you sort of you know the level of wuss that i am when it comes to serial killers um like you know michael enjoys reading jack the ripper type stuff and i'm like no i'll be over here um but jamie did a really good job of of creating the tension and the weirdness and the 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 fear without completely squicking me out which i think you know for some people that's going to be a selling point for some people it won't have gone far enough i'm sure your mileage may vary, but um, I think that you walked the line quite well. Yeah, the the horror aspects are very psychological. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Does anyone else have anything we'd like to say about Delia's shadow or romantic tropes in fiction? <laughs> well, I think I think Jamie has just handed in the third one or is working yes. on the revisions on it. So that is correct. So you can you can read this book and then. Uh... 
and the, read the next two when they come out. Yes, and the next two should be out fairly soon. Um, yeah. I will dig out for the show notes uh, the titles of the next two books. Um, um, a Barricade in Heaven. Barricade and, in Hell, yeah. It's going to say. Um, and I don't remember the other one because... Of course, I have to. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, this is this is the joy of the live podcast, and that's why we do show notes, because we can never remember anything. <laughs> I, I knew five minutes ago. I know, right? Okay. Anyway. Um, Moving on now. We're going to move on now. So, um, uh, Bear, why don't we have you talk about Digger, so we will move from comic book to... Um, anime after that and then we'll do the we'll have paul close out with some televised astronomy so bear tell us about ursula vernon's digger what what is there not to say about ursula vernon's digger i have i've uh technically i guess it's it's a web comic which is now has been available as a series of graphic novels and now is available as the complete omnibus edition as uh for for tablet or as a giant four and a half pound uh, white brick um, <laughs> that I am currently holding in my hand. Um, it's the 2012 Hugo Award winner. Um, and it is one of the weirdest and most wonderful and most atypical epic fantasies I have ever read in my life. Um, it, it is it is technically speaking a funny animal comic in that our protagonist is a wombat. Her name is Digger. She's very practical. Very, very, very practical. Apparently wombats don't have much truck with anything that would irritate, say, a 60-year-old Yankee farmer. <laughs> and this, uh, this unlikely character is... Uh, thrust into the middle of a epic fantasy plot uh, complete with I, I don't want to give away too much because a lot of this is, is uh, functions surprisingly in the plot but the first thing she encounters is a uh, statue of the god Ganesha um, who is a talking statue and an avatar of his god and uh, he has certain problems involving political wars among his priests, and he's also got ancient evils in the depths of the earth waking up. Um, and some of these things have attached themselves to Digger, who has gotten lost wandering through some caverns. Uh, and, and she encountered some bad air and uh, had some hallucinations and isn't quite sure where she wound up and is trying to figure out how to get home. Um, Digger gets compared to Jeff Smith's bone a lot. And there are some similarities in that they're, they both manage to combine a, a whimsical art style and some occasionally hilariously funny touches with uh, um, a, this epic fantasy plot and big doings and, and great pathos and weird, wacky, unexpected little twists on your standard fantasy tropes. Um, the The... The characters in here are fabulous. We've got Digger, of course. We've got the statue. My favorite character is this little critter that Digger calls the Shadow Child, which is an inkblot 
with eyes and adorable body language that uh, is trying to figure out what sort of an animal it might be. And people keep telling it it's evil, but maybe it's not evil. Maybe it, 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 it's not sure it wants to be evil. Um, it just wants to know what it is. And Digger is attempting to explain ethics and morality to this little creature, which has massive powers when it gets riled and can eat, eat and destroy just about anything. Um, there's a, let's see, there's a, a priestess of the, uh, or priestess of the God behind the statue, who's, uh, got, uh, sort of a contagious madness, uh, caused by looking at another God accidentally. Um, there are a bunch of hyenas who have interesting gender roles and, uh, some of the, the funniest moments in the book are one of the female hyenas who is very large and dominant and masculine sort of mansplaining things to a human male constantly while he gets more and more and more irritated um, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't it, it's it's uh, the, the thing that it puts me in mind of is is my favorite book which is uh, Peter Beagle's The Last Unicorn Mostly for its ability to have me laughing out loud on one page and actually on the verge of tears on the next. Um, it vast emotional range, very light hand with the with both the whimsy and the the epic uh, sense of wonder plot. Good stuff all round, and that's that's my intro to Digger, which everyone should read, and you can now get it as an omnibus, so it's easy. Has anyone else had a chance to read it? I have not yet had the pleasure. No, me neither. I've heard a lot about it, a lot of good <laughs> about it, but it's got wombats. To... You'll love it. <laughs> Anything with wombats gets an automatic move to the top of two B red pile. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I... I haven't had time to t actually tackle it. <laughs> I, I think it's great work. Um, I'm. Um... I have almost nothing to add to that very thorough <laughs> summing up of it, but it's, it's, it's very good. Okay, excellent. So, um, dear listeners, go get yourself a copy of Digger. Um, now I'm gonna, you can we're actually gonna... read the entire thing online for free if, you're, if you're that patient. If you're that patient. It's, it's, <laughs> I was going to say, you said phone book, and I, I'm assuming you mean like a thick one. Like not it, a... is, it is. Hang on. This, is, this, this sucker's about the size of probably both volumes of church and state put together. Okay. Yeah. It's so. huge. 822 pages, not counting the color supplement at okay. the end. So yeah, that that's a good weekend gone. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, it's a, it's a graphic novel, so you could probably read it in about four or five hours, okay. but um, that would, you know, so a lovely that snowy Saturday. A lovely care of. snowy Saturday, yes. Excellent. Okay, time to move on to our next topic. So, Aliette, you're up next. Um, you've heard Bear and I do the the blathering bit, so get, you get a turn. Yay! Um, Yay! So I'm, you have brought to us today a anime uh, called Haibane Renmei, which translates into English to Charcoal Feather Federation. So off you go. Tell us about it. Yeah, um, well, okay, in France it's known as um, uh, The Girl with uh, Grey Wings, uh, and uh, it's basically, um, again, I 
really don't want to give too much away. It's a pretty short anime as far as anime goes. It only has 13 episodes, so uh, but it packs a heck of a lot in those episodes. And it's um, um, basically it's set in this town, which is in an unspecified uh, country. Um, and this town is surrounded by a wall, which is completely impassable. And in this town, uh, there's a bunch of people who are called Haibane who live there. And Haibane are basically, um, they're like little angels. They have wings and they get given a halo. And they don't actually remember anything that happened before they got reborn in this town. Um, and it's the um, Haibane Renmei is the story of one of them who's called Raka, who is uh, born at the very beginning of the story. So they're born as adults uh, with uh, actually, and this is one of the coolest uh, things in the first episode, which um, when Raka is born, uh, she actually has lumps at the back of her, um, well, at her back and the lumps gradually erupt into wings. Uh, and then they, there's this very cute scene where all the other characters get together and forge a halo that they give her. And the whole story really is about, um, it's a very, very slow and intimate storyline about um, how the different uh, Haibane uh, get together, get to know each other, and how they gradually um, discover things about themselves and some of why they're here, where they're going, and uh, how those relationships change. And in particular, it's about um, the relationship between uh, Raka, who's the new Haibane, and uh, Reiki, uh, her fellow Haibane, who's been there like longer than anyone can remember. And towards the second half of the anime, there's a certain urgency in that uh, Reiki has to solve her problems and will not accept help from anyone. And it's about a lot of it is about the friendship between those characters and how they try to help each other. And I think the the thing that I most like about it is it's this very, very intimate focus on the relationships between characters. There's like um, their daily lives, cycling through towns, going to the bakery, fixing clocks. And at the same time, there's slightly surreal atmosphere about like, you know, why is this town in the middle of nowhere? Why is there a wall? Why do you have sometimes people who come through the wall and who can't speak and are reliant on um, the co- uh, a communicator who has to translate everything that they say? Where do they get their stuff? And you don't... One of the things that I think it does extremely well is you don't actually per se get any definite answers to those questions. And you finish the anime with... Um, a sense that there are some questions that haven't actually been answered, but it doesn't matter. There's still a very, a very satisfying um, denouement that actually takes into account everything that went on before. And I think it's a great, um, it's a great uh, study of how to do ambiguity. Um, it leaves some questions open, and it really doesn't matter. You feel satisfied as a viewer that the storyline has ended, that the story of Raka and Reki has come to an end. And the art is really gorgeous. It has this sort of very dreamy, sort of um, slightly watercolory art, uh, with very the characters are very sharply delineated. But it it sort of gives it this very this peculiar, yeah, dreamy atmosphere that fits in very well. Uh, with the um, with the plot and the music as well is gorgeous and and it's really I think for like again for thirteen episodes I think it packs a punch and you get you get caught in it I mean not much actually happens during each episode but you get really drawn into the characters I mean they feel like people that you could meet every day and a lot of the plot is tied 
with you know uh, how they interact and there's um, a story about um well without giving too much away a lot of it revolves around reincarnation and forgiveness and how uh people learn to forgive each other or don't and it's very very well done i think excellent anyone else have anything they'd like to add um well i've i've seen chunks of this um it's my wife's absolute favorite um i think it informs her spiritual beliefs a lot that um uh it's i believe created by christian creators and i think we can assume it's an afterlife of some sort a heaven of some sort or perhaps not actually a heaven perhaps a purgatory or something like that um the um uh she gives it to um fellow members of our tribe who who like it on that basis um i i love the soundtrack a, a kind of very jazz influence very very peaceful very um very drag you into the depths of slumber uh jazz soundtrack which is gorgeous and um yeah that that i, I did actually just pop out to see if she wanted to take my place because she could actually talk eruditely about it but tom's having a bit of a yell so um she ah. said no no you back, back off you go <laughs> so <laughs> Well, we'll have to have her on another time, maybe. Um, well, that would be excellent. That would be excellent. I haven't had a good chance to have a chat with Caroline in quite some time. See you all the time. Rarely well, get yeah. to see Caroline, you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm 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 like the um I'm like the very um common card you get in packs of trading cards. <laughs> and, 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 oh, oh, hey, still got a laugh. There we are. Oh, that that was the one where I was going to pause and wait, and you would be completely silent. But there we are. <laughs> Yes, you are the Joxer in my Xena trading cards. Oh, goodness, an example. Wow. Yes, sadly, I have a pretty full set still. <clears throat> anyway, um, so yeah, that's my secret shame. I have an awful lot of Xena Warrior Princess cards. Dimetrodon in my um, uh, dinosaurs stickers when I was little. Aww. So many Dimetrodons. In, in, the real, in the real world, apparently, the world was um, consumed by having too many Triceratops at one point. In terms of stickers, it was Dimetrodon. I've, I've just talked and talked right over the end of Aliette's bit. Sorry, Aliette, please finish. It, it, it give us uh, conclude. I, I, I hope I didn't just trample over. No, no. I mean, I, ha I was actually winding down. I mean, I was going to say that, <laughs> uh, that's what I had to say, and that you really should go and get it. And as I said, it's like it's thirteen episodes of maybe twenty, twenty-five minutes. There. I mean. It feels longer, to be honest, but it's like really, you could watch it in an afternoon very easily. Excellent. Yay. Okay, so at this point, uh, we're going to turn over to Paul and let him tell us about the sky at night. Okay. Before um, we do that, I'd like to take this opportunity to point out that if that's Lynn's deepest secret shame, <laughs> she needs to be working harder. Well, that's the, that's the deepest secret shame that I'm willing to admit to publicly in a recorded format. So, Much it's better. End, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. Back to you, Paul. <laughs> Dimetrodon. Um, if, uh, <laughs> if um. If I was going to admit to a deepest secret shame on a live podcast, I think I'd pick anyway. Um, <laughs> oh no, do I, go on, do go on. Yeah, do tell us, Paul, your deepest secret shame on a live podcast. 
I may, I may, I may get to it during my presentation about the Sky at Night. Um, the Sky at Night um, is a monthly um, half hour or so BBC television series that has been running um, since 1957. Um, there have been 722 episodes. And until um, his death in um, December last year, um, the same presenter had presented every single one. Um, his name is was Sir Patrick Moore, and he was an extraordinary um, oh a, a British television legend. One of those people, British television being kind of monolithic and um, being rather narrow casting, throws up these beautiful eccentrics every now and then. Um, who people watch not for their subject matter, but for them themselves. And uh, he was the epitome of the astronomy. He had a monocle. He had a very precise, very swift way of speaking. Um, it may be, the comet may be visible in the northern sky. We just don't know. And um, uh, his, uh, he would play the xylophone on comedy shows. He would appear in comedy sketches um, about astronomy. He would basically throw himself into whatever it took to make astronomy a more popular subject. And um, uh, The Sky at Night um, was, perhaps obviously, um, broadcast very late at night on um, BBC One. So one had to stay up late before things like modern-day skyboxes in order to watch it. And so it, it, it was kind of at the heart of British amateur astronomy, and Moore himself was an amateur. He never got any uh, qualifications for his... Um, uh, for his um, astronomy. Um, as he got older and older, um, he g got a bigger and bigger gang of other presenters around him, including rather wonderfully uh, Terry Pratchett, um, uh, Brian May from Queen, um, who's actually a doctor of astrophysics. Three out of four of the members of Queen have doctorates in astrophysics. Um, that explains <laughs> can... so much. <laughs> and... Um, uh, but after he died, um, the show um, gained two new presenters and ran for another year. And the BBC scared us all by announcing that um, it wasn't necessarily going to come back, resulting in an enormous protest, a huge um, uh, lots of signatures. Um, and um, it is actually coming back, as it turned out. They reversed their decision. Um, they've dropped one of the presenters, who I really adored, um, Dr. Lucy Green, who I thought was fabulous and are um, replacing her with somebody else um, when the show comes back in um, at the start of the new year. Um, I'm, um, I, I, I suppose there will be vast changes to the format. It was still a little make-do and mend. It, it had a certain British amateurness to it. Um, by the end of uh, Patrick Moore's presentation of it, it was actually being um, broadcast from his house um, in a little English village down on the south coast. Um, this is an honour accorded to very few BBC presenters, uh, including John Peel, the DJ. The, the ability now exists to basically broadcast a television programme from just about anywhere. So if you've got a, a, a presenter who, in the case of Patrick Moore, was physically unable by the end to leave his house, um, then what you do is you take the programme to him. Um, I met him once um, when I was very small. Um, my father... Um, led me at the age of six, because we would always go on holiday to that area, down a little lane leading to his cottage, and uh, because everybody in the town knew where his cottage was. And Dad knocked on the door, 
and was met by his housekeeper who said, oh, I'm terribly sorry, um, Patrick Moore's going to just be off to record a programme in London in a few moments. Um, we, we don't have any time today. And Dad said, well, my, my son's very interested in astronomy, but thank you for your time, and led me off. And as we walked off down the lane, I heard from behind me this voice I'd been familiar with from television um, yelling, wait a moment, wait a moment. Um, and he came running up the lane behind us. He very swiftly showed us around his um, house. He showed us his telescopes in the backyard. He gave me a copy of his book. He absolutely made sure that I wasn't being disappointed and that the love of astronomy was fixed in my head and then politely ushered us out. Um, a marvellous little bit of um, of work on his part. And um, uh, really helped to ensure that, um, for me, there's a great romance about looking up at the night sky and knowing where everything is. Um, there's a, a feeling of comfort in it. Um, a, a lot of people um, who are or were amateur astronomers um, adore the fact that they can go out on a clear night, the sort of thing that would throw H.P. Lovecraft into a catatonic state <laughs> and actually feel comforted by knowing their way around. And uh, a lot of that romance and comfort for me comes from Patrick Moore. He was not himself a very comforting individual. He was a complicated man um, who at one point in the 1970s actually started his own far-right anti-immigration party. Um, but as he got older and older, um, his politics at least swung back towards the... Um, the uh, well towards the ballot box let us say even even if he was still fairly terrifying he was a grandiose sexist who also um sent encouraging letters to many many um future female astronomers um he was a racist who employed somebody of mixed race on his presentation team um very very complicated man and um uh, but at the same time, brilliant and beautiful. And uh, what the awful thing was, the BBC seemed to decide that the show was him. And that having given it um, an extended life of another year, during which a lot of homage was paid to him, it could never quite escape his shadow. Um, they, that was when the axe came down which was very, very unfortunate, because actually it's not one person, and he would have been horrified at that. It's the central the central meeting point of the amateur astronomy community in Britain. It's the sort of thing the BBC should do as a public service broadcaster. And um, anyway, it's moved to a new broadcaster. It's moved from BBC One to BBC Four, which is um, a much better home for it. Um, it's going to be. It has been repeated there at reasonable times of night, and presumably that will now be its new home. And um, it, it, hopefully, we will see a, a renewed surge of interest in it. And um, I'm delighted it's continuing, and it's a, a huge, huge part of my life. And um, the um, theme tune um, at the castle gate uh, is something that can still. Um, throw me into nostalgic reverie. There are many, many wonderful clips from the sky at night on um, YouTube, notably um, Sir Patrick out in his back garden in the 1950s with an enormous telescope, um, failing to find the planet he was after because the sky is completely clouded over. It's a British humour in the sense of a rained out test match. And... Um, or a wonderful wander with Michael Benteen, um, the goon show comedian who was a great believer in uh, flying saucers. Patrick Moore always had an interest in things for Tian, while not believing them, in them at all, and seems to have, though 
he did not admit it even to the point of his dying day um seems to have written a fake ufo book in the 1960s um which became part of the canon and is now regarded as a wonderfully clever pastiche or and or fake by most fortians um anyway uh, it's an enormous part of my life and um it's a beautiful thing and i'm glad the sky at night continues to 723 episodes excellent and of course, Sir Patrick Moore has appeared in Doctor Who, which means he's he couldn't possibly be any more firmly in the televised canon if he tried. <laughs> Does anyone else have anything to add um, about the Sky at Night? Um, I have I have only seen this uh, on YouTube and and similar, um, you know, on online video clipping services, as it were, and uh, I it's delightful. Um, the uh for for the american um audience i think it the thing that mo- seemed most similar to me is um the neil degrasse tyson podcasts that he does where he basically gets some interesting people in to talk about physics uh <laughs> <laughs> and then they talk about physics and you learn interesting things from watching other people talk um yeah, a podcast but, does that. Yeah, yeah. He's got a, a Neil. Uh, Neil Tyson has a podcast. Yeah, I, Ken I, has I, podcast. I, I, I'm just teasing. Oh, that, that I'm sorry. There was possibly that was... share information with you know a group of interesting people talking about interesting things that never happens. You told a joke. I did. Silence again. <laughs> and I hit a wall. <laughs> Maybe I just have no sense of humor today. Oh, I don't. I don't. We did it again. We did it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's late at night and we're tired. I mean, except for Lynn, where it's it's maybe too early in the day. I had a cup of tea. It's just not helping. Michael was like, "You want a spiked hot hot chocolate?" I'm like, "Honey, it's not a Verity recording." (laughs) Oh, that explains everything. Doesn't it though? Yeah. I was like, "No, honey, I have to be in charge. I I can't, you know, no." (laughs) Oh. Wait, wait a we second. should do I a have, drunken have... squeakast one of these days. Oh God, yes. I, oh God, I have, no. I have, to, I have to make we, Lynn feel at home. Um, uh, we uh, can uh, talk uh, Michael into it, Lynn. I'm sure you can. Good luck with that. I, I have to make Lynn feel at home, and uh, as if this is a variety podcast. Um, uh, uh, so um, no, I, I should say, um, what are you saying? Yes, no. What do you mean? <laughs> of course not. I would never do that. You forgot. Sorry. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> uh, for Squeakcast listeners, if you're not aware, Paul is very gently making fun of our mutual friend Liz Miles, who often um, says, how dare you, in reaction to us being very, very wrong about aspects of Doctor Who. So there you go. Um, with love. Because we're wrong a lot. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where we're threatening to get, maybe get a stat boy version of someone to come on and correct all of our mistakes. So it's really fun because, you know, we're very enthusiastic, but not always factually correct, which makes it entertaining for everyone. So, okay. Well, Elliot, I, you, you're, you're on the hook now. We got nothing else. So, ah, <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay. So this is a group of questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, and, uh, so off we go. Um, each, each question came from one of the Squeakasters and, uh, what, what I've done this time around, because Michael has added questions and we've dumped one of mine is that you'll get one from each moderator and then two from everybody else, I think, except Kat who only had one. Okay. That was lovely and confusing and completely unreasonably necessary at all. Okay. 
Well, I know who to blame. Yeah, right? exactly. That's the important thing. Exactly. And I will tell you who to blame for each question, which makes it more fun. So, um, also, we might be able to make Paul sing. We'll see. Ooh. Yes. Okay. So, first question comes from Paul, and he would like to know, what do you most fear? Hmm. Um, well, I got a whole lot of new fears since having the baby, since it turns out that suddenly, you know, all your fears leave your body and go to someone else. Uh, other than that, I have a totally unreasonable fear of giant crabs. Don't ask me why. Um, so which made watching the Doctor Who episode gridlocked quite um, interesting. <laughs> uh, she had to fast forward. <laughs> oh. Oh, and you missed out on the macro? That's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Irrational. I don't even know where it comes from. I'm fine You're with small ones. You're the only person. You're the only person who has ever been afraid of the macro. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that is true. <laughs> Even the actors who were in the episode couldn't be afraid of the macro. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Next question. Uh, Shauna would like to know, can she have a cookie? Um, does she have um, two hours? I can, like, bake some. But uh, it will take time, and everything's closed at night. It's France, like Saturday evening in France before Christmas. So not much to actually open for buying butter and other interesting things. If you want to party till the end of the night, possible. If you want to do some last-minute Christmas shopping, I'm pretty sure you can. But, like, actual butter, mm. So no cookies for Shannon for lack of butter. Yeah, I, I guess so. I could replace it with oil, but I've never actually tried. Mm. You could make vegan cookies i suppose yeah that's possible i i've got <laughs> i don't know I'm how to think. But... <laughs> i've got one i i'm pretty sure i have one cookie recipe that uses oil instead of butter but it you get a very different texture so mm, you know, can imagine yeah, as you it's might the imagine first, that's the first time shannon's been denied her cookie by a guest i think, I think it is i think this is the first time that shannon is lacking in cookie just as oh, well, she's not it. here. Mm. Well, mm. clearly you have no I, fear. I, I can, Everyone I else is afraid to deny tomorrow. Sean and a cookie. <laughs> I, I am not denying. I'm merely postponing. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So Sean gets a delayed cookie. Yeah, Stay I wouldn't actually Elliot. deny her cookies. That would be mean. <laughs> yeah. Stay perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next question is also from Sean. What is the first book that you remember reading on your own initiative? Ooh. Uh, I don't know, because I read a heck of a lot of books. Like, my parents basically had this policy that um, we couldn't, I mean, like, any toys we had to wait for Christmas or buy with our pocket money or that sort of thing. But, like, any books that we wanted, we had. So, very early on, I caught on to the fact that I could have a full set of bookshelves if I only asked all the books that I wanted. And I was a very fast reader. I think the first one I read for myself was a it was a book of Chinese fairy tales I picked from a, a shop near La Sorbonne my mom and I used to go uh, near La Sorbonne because there was that's where the the, Viet, the very first Vietnamese district was and while she was browsing the Vietnamese food stuff uh, she bought us books to keep us busy me and my sister <laughs> excellent okay the next question is also Paul's Paul are you up to singing Let's give it a go. All right. What have you done today to make me feel proud? Ooh, tall order. 
Um, you don't have to sing your answer. Really mm, good, good, because it might start raining here or snowing. Mind you, Christmas with snow. That would be nice. I might start singing. No, uh, bad idea. Um, I have, um, well, I have changed nappies and put my baby to sleep. Aww. I think I'll rest my case here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Par- parent pass there. Yeah. <laughs> Bear would like to know, what do you want on your tombstone? Mm, did not do as she was told. You can't see me grinning like a loon over here, which is sad because I'm grinning like a loon. That makes me very happy. So I'm having that moment of, oh, that's right. They can't see my face on the podcast. I should probably express that with words. Okay. Yeah, same here. I keep smiling and going like, there's no point. Is there? Yeah, it's the, it's the, I'm nodding, but you can't tell. Yeah. Oh, no. We lost you. Hang on. Hang on, hang on. That's weird. I can still hear you. You can still hear me. We lost Bear. Um, so let me see if I can add her back in. Paul, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay, so it was just Bear that we lost. Da, 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 Well, on the plus side, I get to hear more of Paul singing. That's true. It's... Yeah, that's not a plus. <laughs> Don't patronize me. <laughs> I was promised singing. I get singing is all I'm noticing. <laughs> the um, this is taken from the wonderful uh, British comedy show Miranda, where um, it's um, a point of psychological necessity that uh, a, uh, a a cardboard cutout of um. Oh, I can't remember the name of the singer, but the singer who sings What Have You Done Today to Make You Feel Proud is brought out to force our, our heroine to um, <laughs> to admit to some such uh, some such thing every now and then. Oh, really? Yeah, that, mm-hmm. I, nicked, I nicked my, my question from somebody else. Well, that never happens. I, I mean, <laughs> it's not like I've seen way too many episodes of Inside the Actor's Studio. <laughs> How many is too many? Um, More than one, really. <laughs> There, there's, it's an entertaining show for what it is, but um, it, it, especially tra- when it, especially when they interview American actors as opposed to British trained ones, there's not always a lot going on there. So it's we we treat our guests more roughly than they do, don't? Yes. don't yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah, it's not as rough on on the on the actor studio. I think there's some discussion of pro- you know there's discussion of process and 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 method and all of that, but. Um, yeah, not as rough on them. <laughs> anyway, that's another tangent, and we seem to have lost Bear, and I feel very, very bad about that, but I do want to yeah, keep she us... Keep, she yeah, she keeps yeah. blinking on and off on my screen. Yeah, I know. It's me trying <laughs> to keep calling her. Um, that's just what she's like in real life. <laughs> she blinks constantly. Okay, we'll try one more time, but in the meantime, Aliette, um See, and I want her here to hear your joke. That's the hard part, because the next question is also hers. Um, so, uh. <laughs> oh, I hear my me. husband downstairs going, break for a minute. <laughs> is, he a, is he a backseat podcast? Yes, occasionally. <laughs> As it were. He is, very occasionally. Uh, we've lost bear. Well, we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to keep going, I think, because I'd rather not have to stop and restart the recording. So we're going to do that. 
So Elliot, uh, Bear would like to know, what is your favorite joke? And do please feel free to tell it. Okay, um, can I point you to YouTube? I am I suck at telling jokes, but like my favorite bit with my favorite thing with humor in it is um, uh, you all know Simon Scat, right? Yes. Uh, and my favorite one is the one where he puts up the Christmas tree. It's a very seasonal one, actually, and the cats help him because I have known cats that did that <laughs> and tried to help you put together the Christmas tree. And of course, by the end of it, you don't have a Christmas tree or a tree. Possibly. Uh, but you do have lots of broken bowls and ornaments that really shouldn't have been around cats. I'm hoping Christmas with toddlers is a little less eventful than Christmas with cats. Let's hope. Our, ca- <laughs> our cat just stares at the tree. Like, Marie Cat is, is lazy and laid back. So she just she likes to lay on the back of the couch and stare at the blinking lights, but she's never tried to climb our tree. So maybe toddlers very like that, too. I don't know. Uh, well, Tom. let's see. <laughs> Has Tom tried to climb the tree yet? <laughs> Tom hasn't encountered a Christmas tree yet. I, he's going to when we go and stay at the in-laws. And oh. uh, I, I, I think his his natural impulse will be to eat it. That's the idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's That's when the whole tradition of possibly having edible cookies on the tree sounds like a good plan, yes. <laughs> Until it's ultimately really confusing. Mm. Okay, next question. Um, Kat brings to the table, what is your quest? Mm. Mastering cooking. And particularly at the moment, uh, pastries, I suck at like um, anything to do with flaky pastries. So my, at some point when I actually have extra time, which I don't know when in the next few years, I guess, um, I'm going to ask my husband to show me how he actually manages to do the <clears throat> the apple tart. Mm-hmm. So, Pastry is hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while um, I do... I, 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 I'm an okay baker if I have a recipe to follow, but I'm not the sort of person who can just sort of throw something magically together. And phyllo dough and puff pastry is the bane of my existence. I can't get it to work. Like, you know, a cookie or a quick bread, that's fine, but the complicated stuff it scares me i have yeah. never been near pastry a pastry is the enemy <laughs> pastry is the enemy well when when you're baking it when you're eating it though it's it's the best thing ever when you're eating it yeah positive points yes <laughs> okay uh next question um which is mine uh which is what is your favorite word mm, liminal because Ooh, yeah yeah Actually, one of the words that I remember, actually, uh, at one point I was determined to better my English vocabulary, but that was ooh, 10 years ago when I was still wasn't very good at English. And I basically had this vocabulary book in which I would look up the words that I didn't know. And I stopped when I realized that all the words that I didn't know were actually very, very complicated. And a lot of English speakers sometimes didn't fully know what they meant. Anyway, so that's one of the words that I learned during that period. The other one being Empyrean. I don't know how you pronounce it. Empyrean? Uh, no, uh, E-M-P-Y-R-E-I-A-N, relating to heaven. I'm not familiar with that word. <laughs> oh, that word. Right, yes, yes, we use that all the time. Yeah, totally, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Staple mm. of American English, that, yep. Okay, I'll make sure to use it three or four times in my next story. Yes, Absolutely. 
Okay, and the last question we have for you, it comes from Michael, um, which is, what is the one place you'd like to visit that you have not yet traveled to? Um, okay, uh, I think it's a tie between Singapore and Hong Kong, but I've actually been to Singapore, like, if being to Singapore, like, I was half an hour in the airport, which probably barely counts, but um, I wanted to go, yeah, I really want to go to Hong Kong because uh, apparently the food is great, so I have this plan where I'll go and friends will actually show me all the sites and especially all the restaurants. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, restaurant tourism. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan. <clears throat> I, I yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, you're not the only one. I, I'm the kind of person who, who desperately wants to be a foodie. Um, I, I, I'm a sucker for, I mean, that's, that's sort of like, it's the, it's the, okay, so I was at a professional conference in Barcelona a couple, a few weeks ago um, for my day job. And the biggest disappointment was that we did not find like a good local joint to eat at. We just ended up sort of hitting tourist trap after tourist trap strictly oh. because of time. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Because you know yeah, they schedule you like crazy, and then you can't really get out, or you're just too too exhausted. So that like the best meal I had because we were mostly during tourist traps was I was a falafel that I grabbed from a stand when we were too tired to actually deal with the real dinner. Like, and it was just like, mm. well, <laughs> okay then, next, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I that's one of my favorite things when when we do get to travel is is getting to um figure out wh where we're going to eat like that's that's you know that's that's one of the best things about travel is getting to eat different places yeah and yeah and getting yeah i i plan my i like to plan my day around the restaurants yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now i've said too much <laughs> no, you're not alone in that at all Okay, so this is the part where I do the outro. Um, so thank you for joining us. Thanks to our regular contributors, Baron Paul, and our special guest, Elliot de Bodard. Thank, special thanks to our webmaster, Dimitri Zagadulin, our technical producer, David McCone Chase, Jeff Bonhoff at Mystic Fig Studios for the instrumentals of music by Sean and McGuire, Katie Shuttleworth, who made our rock and logo, and Michael Thomas for general administrative support. We hope that you will join us next time. Same squee time, same squee channel. Bye-bye. <laughs>